This podcast is made possible by Vital Smarts, the Speak Up Experts. With more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times bestselling authors and over 3 million people trained, that's Vital Smarts. If you're struggling to hold a tough conversation in the office or at home, visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM to master your speak up skills and create an environment of accountability. Marlon Pickett was such an amazing story and the, yes. the 360 shimmy he did and the pass to Jason Castagna, who sadly didn't kick the goal, <laughs> but greatest footy story I, I think I've ever seen. To hear the roar of the crowd when you are more than a kilometre away is really <laughs> compelling. And such a good-natured crowd, it really is remarkable that there are so few incidents, such little violence and so few arrests. I did love Damien Hardwick's story, not being able to sleep, so got out of his bayside bed at about 3 or 4am, caught a cab back down to Swan Street because he wanted to see it and everyone had gone home. So he <laughs> wandered around and a couple of cleaners spotted him and got these great selfies with the coach. <laughs> you know, it was my dear friend Sally said, when you get old... I've lost all faith in my crumbles. <laughs> Honestly, I defy anybody to come away from seeing Ned's film to not be affected and be a real pro medicinal cannabis person because of the good that it does all of these cancer sufferers and others as well. Do you have a favourite Julie Andrews movie or song? <laughs> no, I can't stand Julie Andrews. <laughs> And nor did Mum. She took son Will to The Sound of Music and she came home and she said, never again, all those nuns. <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everyone. It is Don't Shoot the Messenger, episode 103. I am Corey Perkin and I'm joined today with two Tiger fans. We will get onto the football in just a moment. But I wanted to say that it's been an extraordinary week in the world. The world's two great democracies, the leaders are, f are just unravelling before our eyes. Scott Morrison is facing a tough time over his offer to assist Donald Trump in getting out of trouble. And Prince Harry has launched a legal action against the Mail on Sunday for its alleged bullying of his wife, the Duchess of Sussex. Hello, Carol. I don't know whether you've caught up with that story yet. I have, Corrie. It was a very heartfelt statement released by Prince Harry overnight um, against the Daily Mail because well, he basically said, this is, this is what he said between the lines, this is what killed my mother and I don't want history to repeat itself. And also uh, he said that his wife had been very unhappy despite appearances that it is really getting to them and it's making her terribly anxious, which we all have to stop and think about that. Well, I did suggest that things were a bit tense in the household, didn't I? And I have several times. <laughs> you, but yet, you and your sources. <laughs> the Daily yeah, my sister in Sydney through her women's magazines. But no, um, the uh, it was a letter, didn't they? They published a private letter of hers, which I must say, I think that's pretty ordinary. I think it's pretty ordinary too. That we've really stooped to low levels of journalism here. A couple of apologies. Apparently last week when you were talking about yours and Clem's uh, soireeing around the Brownlow, I referred to it as an espresso martini. I did, of course, mean to say espresso and use my proper Italian accent. People and, need to get a lot, seriously. <laughs> and there have been a couple of inqu inquiries about Anna from the op shop who was on last week referred to Art Moll's Tutti Frutti. Can yes. you elaborate on that? Well, In fact, we should introduce I can. our guest. The person who can is my mother, who's here. Hello, Welcome, Mum. Julia. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it wouldn't be a Tiger Premiership without Julia Wilson here. Julia, can you fill us in on Aunt Moll's 
Tutti Frutti? Um, no, just Moll. Uh, she was a lovely woman who lived across the road from me, and um, her daughter is a great friend, and Moll's Tutti Frutti was the greatest standby. It's a slice brown sugar and lots of dates and walnuts and cherries. Rather dated, but really delicious. Although I made it last week and for the first time it was a total fizzer. <laughs> so uh, Mum made it for the preliminary final. She said, I don't know what went wrong. There's no fruit in it. I said, Mum, it's tutti fruity. Did you not put the fruit in? <laughs> well, I don't think I put enough or something, but it's, you know, it was my Dear friend Sally said, when you get old, I've lost all faith in my crumbles. <laughs> oh, that's I sad. Have, I have the biggest apology, though, Corrie, and I, it's with a great and shamed face that I did not ask you last week. I was so addled post-Brownlow and not much sleep about your monthly challenge. I wouldn't challenge. say addled. I'd say hangover. Well, no, well, I wasn't hungover, no, because I, I didn't have that big a night. I just had a very late night. Anyway... I didn't ask you about your monthly challenge, and it was the last week of September. And you, of course, had dedicated yourself to walking through some famous areas of Melbourne. So, Mum, you'll be interested in this. Mm. But where did you go and tell us what happened? Just quickly, because I feel bad. It was such a lovely story. So you should. Yeah, well, I know. It's all about you last week. Well, you could have butted in. I mean, you had an opportunity. <laughs> Not with you two, Tiger supporters. <laughs> Very quickly, so the, the goal was to do these architectural walks and discover more about the history of Melbourne via the walks and the buildings that I've seen. So the week before last, I was in Port Ferry and then in different parts of the Western District and then in Ballarat. So, of course, jewellers, you would know because you've recently been to Port Ferry, lots of beautiful 1840s, 1850s buildings there. Yes. Quite severe Georgian, very plain, square, mm. uh, like we used to draw at school, I thought. Yes. You know how you draw a house yes. and the two windows and the yes. door in the middle? Yes. There was a lot of that and a lot of bluestone. Um, Ballarat, high Victorian, money from the gold rush, just incredible homes. Walking the streets of Ballarat is one of my favourite things to do. And then on Monday morning, I took myself off to Fitzroy, which is Melbourne's oldest suburb. First suburb, oldest suburb. Lots again, lots of that early, early Georgian, very plain pared back look. But then in certain areas, you can see where the development has occurred. You'll walk down a street and you can say, oh, yes, I reckon this was... Uh, subdivided and sold off in about the 1870s because you start to see all of that very ornate and then two-storey, beautiful Victorians. And there's that bank of terraces that is in Nicholson Street right on the border of Fitzroy that across from the exhibition, Royal Exhibition Building, and they are just stunning. And then everywhere you walk, uh, if you kind of look to the south, you'll have a little glimpse of St Patrick's Tower. Mm. So a very, very beautiful part of Melbourne. So I had a very lovely architectural walk still to do Bemoris, but that's on the list. So I did. You know, I have done my. I have done my challenge, Caro. How's your house? Well, it the, should be fabulous now. Plaster, you had a whole month. The plaster still hasn't arrived from the leak upstairs, but he's coming on Monday. So, and John Kennedy, the plumber, has he uh, taken out another? Yeah, well, <laughs> another a, wing of his it, house, and un- named after the Wilson household. There's a bit happening, but there's negotiations afoot. So we might just leave that in the too hard <laughs> basket for the moment. Let's talk about the fact that look, we're not going to go on and on about Richmond. It was a very one-sided game. Of course, Some, we're going to go on. If and one on more about person. Came up to Mum and I yesterday and said it was a bit of a disappointing game, didn't they, Mum? Oh, they were Melbourne supporters, one and all. <laughs> we said it was the sort of game we liked. 
It was a great day, Corrie. It was a really lovely day and um, it just couldn't have been more perfect. So you had family members spread all around the G, I understand. And Jewel, were you with uh, Clementine, your granddaughter? Yes, I was. And were you with Anna from the op shop? Was she with you? No, you actually weren't with Anna in the op shop. No. Anna from the op shop and Clem sat together. You were with Mox, my sister. Oh, yes. okay. Yes, your we other daughter. Lots of uh, <laughs> twos, you know. And I just want to say what a wonderful job, can I? Now, the MCC did because they were in real trouble early in the grand final week because the people who'd won tickets in the ballot. Collingwood supporters, one and all, I think, had returned their tickets and the MCC is faced with on-selling the tickets again for the people who were disappointed in the first ballot and they had to ring round town day and night. And, uh, Caro, you tell what happened to Clem. Well, then, so so you took, you'd missed out and then you did get tickets and, and really good tickets at, at the last minute. And then we're walking to the train on... Saturday morning, and Clem gets a message from the MCG. She's only a restricted member, and it said tickets will be be available at eleven o'clock. We're putting all these tickets up because people hadn't turned up. So, I, you know how angry the AFL gets, and this ongoing fifty-year-old well, schism between the two organisations that flares up every now and again. Longer actually, probably goes back to the Melbourne Olympics. Anyway, um, so a lot of people then got out of bed or left the coffee shops wherever they were, went to the MCG, got online and by and then they did it again and they did it again and they did it again. And by one o'clock, they were going to start it at one o'clock, but they started it at 11 o'clock. And they'd filled the stadium by a bounce of the ball. Yeah, Isn't well, that was, amazing? Yeah, there was over, you just have to get, you have to have to tip that magical 100,000 mark and they did. Bad form of the Collingwood people to just not front up. I mean, a grand oh. final is a spectacle no matter what, whether your team's playing or not. Well, anyway. but Nathan Buckley said in a, he did a great interview with Jared Waitley shortly after losing the prelim, and he said, no, 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 I'm not going anywhere near it. Not going anywhere near it. And I don't blame him. Well, there was, no. a, there was a certain Collingwood person's wife who came into the shop on Saturday morning when I was working to order a book, and I thought, mm, not going to the game. There you go. But I didn't say anything. I do want to know whether Anna from the op shop wore her Richmond onesie, which we featured a photograph of this extraordinary outfit that she had seen at the op shop that week, and we put it on Instagram. Of course, Instagram went off with many funny comments. One I do want to refer to, Teacup and Silver 22 and says, and a second outing is a bumblebee for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, she I didn't see Anna doing that. She didn't. She turned up at the 3AW outside broadcast that I was on, which um, mum was given a chair in the front row, which was lovely. And Mike Brady sang and the family, as you said, Corrie, were down from Sydney and here, there and everywhere. And no, she was in black and well, she had her tiger scarf on. Yes, but yes. not Mum, mum, Corrie wanted me to ask you, how do these... Richmond teams with their connectedness and mindfulness and vulnerability compare with the great sides of the 60s, 70s and start of the 80s that you were involved in when Dad was president? Well, they had plenty of connectedness. I mean, they weren't encouraged, I suppose, how would I know, to reveal their inner selves, but um, (laughs) they've all stayed. I can't see... Bill Barrett or... <laughs> no, they'd rather not hear his innocent. God Ian, Ian, Ian Stewart might have been a bit, you know, in touch with his feelings. Yes, well, he was, he was always a lovely man. But so yes. w- w- what is the difference then? Oh, oh, darling, I can't say. They're, 
one thing I do know about continuing success with sides, they're composed of very decent people who stick together through the years and our lot of the uh, 60s and 70s, all all the close friends, the ones that I knew best. So, um, well, one of them had a bad experience at the football on Saturday, didn't she? Yes, Leon Clay, wife of the immortal Richard Clay, who's I have never found a favourite to follow like I followed him. Dick Clay, Dick he Clay. Was the hero. Um, she was in the um, past players where they sit in the AFL section, and she was asked a bloke politely in front of her to sit down, and he said, you can get, and if you don't like it, you can go home. Oh. Well, she doesn't come much. She lives at Ocean Grove, Barwon Heads, and I think she'd failed to see all the notices up saying if you see anything nasty or any bad behaviour, report it at once, ring this number. Well, she didn't, and she went home, I believe, early. So I was very distressed to hear that. And that stupid fellow, are you listening? Don't speak like that to Leon Clay. Mum, um, my favourite moment, well, Marlon Pickett was such an amazing story and the the 360 shimmy he did and the pass to Jason Castagna, who sadly didn't kick the goal (laughs) but played a, a brilliant game except he didn't kick straight. And then when Dusty kicked it to him in the third quarter and the crowd... I mean, the greatest sports story, greatest footy story I I think I've ever seen. But what was your favourite moment of the day? Um, Oh, yes, I suppose suppose when Dusty uh, did that goal around his body, that's what I like best, when he seems to be facing the other way and kicks the ball. (laughs) He doesn't seem to think, does he? No, it it just gives you a surprise too, and you feel it surprises him. But, no, you said you had another favourite when the game was actually over, your favourite moment of the day. You'll have to remind <laughs> me, see. Uh, look, I'm not myself. This, is, this is like forgetting the apple crumble <laughs> recipe. It's okay. On Tell my us way the story. Here, Mum said, ask me what my favourite moment of the day was because it was walking through the street. Oh, well, that wasn't <laughs> Oh, well after the game, yes. It, was, it ties in with Corrie's walks. We had a... What I'd have to say was a historic walk through some of extremely small cottages down a very tiny street in Richmond. The verandas wouldn't have been more than four feet wide, deep, some of them. And they were, everyone was full of 20 or 30 people. And the decorations on the picket fences with yellow and black streamers wound in and out, making patterns. Oh, it was the most exciting time. We walked right through Richard, Richmond about a mile up to Clifton Street. And everywhere the streets were full. It's a true village. And I don't know where else in Melbourne you would find that. Well, Corrie, you were at the same function earlier in the day that Mum was walking to. We just made it to the after party. The champagne was finished, but there was plenty of lovely white wine at our friend Joe's house. Well, I went to Joe's after the after closing the bookshop. We raced around there, and they uh, they have a house that, you know, in a way, it's quite high up, overlooks the veranda, overlooks uh, the MCG. So we had the telly on out there. You couldn't see a thing, but it didn't matter because we knew that Richmond was storming home. But to hear the roar of the crowd when you are more than a kilometre away <laughs> is really compelling. <laughs> and as soon as the game finished, we had a little birthday drinks to go to. And um, 
Pete just said, we have to hot foot out of Richmond ASAP. I thought, yes, not a bad idea because the suburb was going off, Jewel, as you say. You but you're right me? about the decorations and the mm. and the everybody spilling out into the pub and such a good natured crowd. It really is remarkable yes. that there are so few incidents, such little violence, and so few arrests. I think it's a real tribute yes. to, well, not only the people but also the um, police as well. I did love Damien Hardwick's story, not being able to sleep. So got out of his bayside bed at about three or four a.m. Caught a cab back down to Swan Street because he wanted to see it and everyone had gone home. So he, he wandered around and a couple of cleaners spotted him and got these great selfies with the coach. And uh, my friend Simon Matthews, who you know, Corrie, who's on the executive yes. at Richmond, he said he walked out of a pub at about two. His brother Dave is CEO of GWS, so mixed feelings in the Matthews family, but they're very close. They'll get over it. Anyway, he left the pub and he said there was no one really in the street. It was like that World War Two shot of the man skipping down. He said, I skipped down Swan Street amongst the streamers and the balloons. You should have seen me. I said I would have loved to have seen it. Anyway. It was a great week and... Look, even for those of us who, who perhaps our teams weren't playing or maybe we're not even football crazy as we four around this table are, including Miss Jane there, but it, it's just you do just naturally get caught up in it. The number of customers during the week, dare I say, Jill, quite a few Melbourne supporters who still haven't got over the season 2019, but look, there's always next year, but people just saying, isn't it exciting, isn't it wonderful, and Caro, for me to go back, to be invited back to the Essendon Women's Network lunch, which I can recall back in the day when you were one of the first, uh, one of their first um, nominees and then winners of the Women at Football Award, which is such a prestigious award. But to be at that lunch where years ago they were, they were lucky if they got 200 women. Mm. Now it's over a thousand people at Crown Casino. It was an extraordinary event of camaraderie and really celebrating women's role. Not just, I mean, Shelley Ware, who's on television, won it, but also her work in the Indigenous community, but a whole lot of other women who work at club level. Uh, you know, the, one of the women who won another award, she's been working at the Fitzroy Footy Club for years. Fitzroy Football Club has been kept alive because of women like her. It was just yes. such a great lunch. Yeah, yeah I actually judged that award and um well and judged. I saw I saw Shelley at the footy on Saturday and congratulated her. She didn't tell me this, but others told me, you know, she left the Mangrook show in the middle of the year. Don't think all the blokes were all that welcoming to some of the women on that show, even now. So mm, interesting. Very disappointing, just sort of going to throw that in. But I, I'm glad. I'm sorry I didn't make that lunch. But um, we did have a nice lunch the next day. We had lunch the next day at the Harry Go- uh, Harry Gordon Memorial lunch. Well, it annual lunch, a annual footy lunch. lunch. Yeah. Well, it, it's become and, and because Michael Gordon so sadly died far too young last year. Um, it's sort of a lovely way of celebrating the whole family. And his two children, Sarah and Scott, were there who've gone on to do wonderful things. And it was so lovely to see them and. Anyway, what must... a stellar cast around the table, though. Everybody from well, Randall McDonald was a no-show because he's had his first grandson in grandchild in Sydney, so he wasn't there. But people like Peter Blunden, uh, who is the managing director of the Herald and Weekly Times, um, people like Jared Waitley, 
uh, John Yost, who used to be on air on on ABC Radio. God, it was an amazing crowd. And our dear friend Mike Sheehan. And and with a call out to our wonderful sponsor, Vital Smarts, Globally Proven Crucial Conversations, Corrie, you seem to be having some very crucial conversations at the other end of the table (laughs) with a lot of your dad's old colleagues. That must be quite poignant for you. Well, it it is, I suppose, because because their memories are all so sharp. So I've had a few over the years. Sadly, some of them are no longer with us. I remember having an amazing uh, conversation at the Harry Gordon lunch. It wasn't called that then because Harry was actually around the table. But about seven or eight years ago with Greg Taylor, who was an editor after my father, and they were contemporaries. And I had an incredible conversation with, with Greg, who was just so wonderful remembering back in the day. So it's always, I was always find it a very um, quite emotional lunch and a lot of fun. But I loved – I was the designated driver, Nance, so I'm driving you back to South Yarra. And I said, gosh, I wouldn't mind a drink because I'd been pretty <laughs> – she Guess never what? wants to go and have a drink anymore, Mum. So, of course, you know, it didn't take much to persuade me. Guess what, you, guess what your daughter said? Oh, let's just pull in here and have a glass of champagne, Jewel. Three, four hours later, were we still there? Lots of people called in. It was most enjoyable. It was a most enjoyable It was evening. a most enjoyable. What a week. It was great. So, Caro and Julia, I was very interested in this article that appeared in the uh, Good Weekend magazine a week or two ago by Anne Patchett, who is one of our favourite authors. Oh, Mum, have you read Bel Canto? It's a wonderful no. novel. You would love it. No. Yeah, a beautiful love story about an opera singer who, during a siege, falls in love. Oh, it's heaven. Oh. Um, and it won the oh. Women's Prize or the Orange Prize. Great novel. Called. Commonwealth. She's written some great books, but she's got oh. a new book out, which I'm so excited about. The Dutch House, it's called, Caro. And in fact, oh. I have I just started it a couple of nights ago. I'm completely into it. I love it. And I did, for potties who might be interested in Anne Patchett, she's done a wonderful interview that was released this week with Guardian Books, which is a fabulous podcast. You just look for the big yellow symbol if you're scrolling through because The Guardian have a number of podcasts. Guardian Books, they've done nearly an hour interview with Anne Patchett where she talks about the book but also the fact that she owns a bookshop. She decided to save into indie bookshops, Jules, so she went and bought one in her local um, town, which I think is Nashville from memory. Anyway, this article, Caro and Julia, is titled Growing Up with a Beautiful Mother Can Be Liberating. I, I read how, it. I wonder I how it. you found that, Kara Singh, as you have a beautiful mother. Well, I do. And mum had an incredibly glamorous mother too. So we can ask mum about it. But Corey, you were the first person I thought of because your mother, Peg, was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And she continued even into well into her 80s, was always incredibly glamorous. And I thought, I must ask Corey about what it's like to have a beautiful mother. Well, it's it's a good and bad thing, Cara. I'm absolutely with you saying that my mother was beautiful. In fact, probably when she was in about her 30s, she was often, often at glamorous cocktail parties in the 50s and 60s. Uh, people would say, you look like Grace Kelly. So yes. she was really beautiful, and she, um, but she was very insecure about her looks, and that goes back for a long way, and I won't go into the whole story there, but it, there was a little bit of abuse in her childhood and she was always very uh, nervous about her looks. But she fell in love with my father, who was a great one for saying, you are beautiful. Every day he would say, I love you and you're beautiful. And I can even remember as a child growing up with that. So she had a sort of, sort of, I think, probably an inner comfort eventually about her, her looks. But she did downplay it as a teenager because of this abuse thing. Anyway, um, 
the the wonderful thing is that wherever you go, people say your mother is beautiful and glamorous, so you feel very proud. But when you're growing up and you're becoming a woman, you know that you're not quite as good. And the thing that used to really drive mum crackers about my looks was my naturally curly hair, which was always messy. It used to drive her to, to distraction, and I was a bit of a boho dresser as opposed to her who was very much neat and tidy. So there were conflicts as well. But, yes, it's a it's a, it's a She such could a put beautiful... on her lipstick without looking, remember? Yes. <laughs> she could. She could. Well, people used to say always people still from Richmond say your mother was the best sort at Tigerland, which I don't know whether. I think that's a compliment, Mum, given that all those beautiful, they're known as wags now. but We, don't, band, we don't use the name wags. But players-wise. But your, my grandmother, Granny Rom, Roma, she was... An incredibly glamorous woman, wasn't she? No, she was handsome, I'd say. She was strong-looking, but mainly she was funny. She was dead funny, and she would rather be remembered for that than anything. She was always referred to by her sort of contemporaries as a snappy dresser. (laughs) (laughs) We don't use snappy anymore, except in a rather nasty way, I think. She rocked the sort of jumpsuit. She had lovely all-in-ones and pantsuits and silk. I remember that. In the war, she had a green Harris tweed Churchill boiler suit made. You know, it zipped up from the top, and we lived in Macedon to keep away from the Japanese, and um, (laughs) you put... You could put your whole wardrobe underneath it because of the perishing cold. <laughs> it was the worst garment. And Harris Tweed, there's nothing to recommend Harris Tweed. Jewel, I can remember when I first met you when I was 17, I guess, uh, that you, I thought you were very glamorous and you always had pearls and very nice jewellery and you, had, you still have the most beautiful twinkly blue eyes. But you were also working or you owned uh, Stripes and Things, which was a rugby jumper shop in South Yarra. So there was this elegant, beautiful woman behind the counter selling rugby jumpers to men who were far too fat to be wearing them. Yeah, and and in fact, they did an article about um, glamorous women in Vogue, remember, and you were in it. Remember that in a pantsuit? Who was your friend who was the editor of Vogue? Sandy Delves, maybe. Yeah. Oh no, no, long before a lovely June McCallum. Yeah, it was a mm. it was a wonderful art. Anyway, I showed yes. it to the kids a few years ago, and they were very impressed. <laughs> very impressed. You in another trouser suit. Speaking of seventies, Caro, we did not by any means do justice your hilarious seventies um, cookbook, the Hostess Cookbook, last week. So I just thought we should revisit, especially as Julia's here with us too. Well, it's called the Australian Hostess Cookbook. It was a dollar ninety eight on the old. Um, price thing when it was up for sale, edited by Hannah Pan, who Corrie reminded me, I think, was she Lord Mayor? What was yeah, she? She, was on, she was on the Melbourne City Council. I think she was Lord Mayor, yeah. actually. Great name. Anyway, thank you again to Eloise Hudson, who gave it to me at our 100th birthday party. Can you just repeat the price? A dollar ninety-eight. Of course. Um, a Grazier's Wife Entertains was one Is that Jane, caught my eye. Jane, how did eye. booksellers make money in those days? <laughs> A theatrical atmosphere is another one, but today, and I'll, I'll mention a recipe later on. But um, Chinese lanterns and glace Zara is the um, <laughs> is the one is the recipe from Mrs. Anne Corgano of uh, Brisbane, Queensland. She wasn't the state winner, but she's there. Would that be Zara after Zara Holt? Well, this is one of her little mentions at the end of the um, some of the recipes. I tell you, there's. Um, Ice drinks for the patio, avocado and prawn cocktail, of course, chicken vinaigrette, patio salad. Oh, my Lord. 
and glacé Zara. Do you, I, have, do you have a patio, Cara? I try to keep the food simple as no one appreciates a hostess who overfeeds her guests, but I always like to serve a little surprise. This time it is the exotic sweet glacé Zara, which was first served by President and Mrs Johnson when the Australia's late Prime Minister Harold Holt and his wife Dame Zara visited Washington. Gee, I'm good. Well, Corrie, I mean... How many Zaras do we know? <laughs> exactly. Um, two pints of vanilla ice cream, pistachio essence, green colouring. They're the first three <laughs> things in the recipe. I don't know if it's much of a little surprise or not. Um, but anyway, no, this book will continue. And I've, it's a surprise when you're throwing up at 3am because you've had too much sugar. I've got, a, I've got a GLT from it as well. But mum, mum, you've got a crush this week. Oh, just if, before we move oh, on from that. No, oh, no, sorry. no, no, sorry. No, you're right. You're right. Julia will have a crush. But I just wanted to say in the dinner parties thing, when, when I was thinking this through and I've been thinking about about this book a lot this week. I was just remembering that my parents went to a dinner party, which actually was called a slumber party, and they got home at seven a.m. They went off to the dinner party in their pajamas. It was officially called that was the that was the seventies. No surprises. The the slumber party was in Brighton, where they were a little risque. Well, I'm. But I can remember things, Cara, like. Like mousse, everybody did a mousse, a chocolate mousse, a Grand Marnier mousse, a salmon mousse. There were mousses up to your eyeballs and also, also chiffon pies. So you had lemon chiffon pie, lime chiffon pie my mother did. And then also she did that one which I've served you, the avocado chiffon pie. <laughs> I loved your avocado pie. That got bad PR, that pie. Well, Mum, I ran into your sister Button yesterday and she's doing salmon mousse for your next um, bridge party. Oh, is she? Yes. Oh, well, I was considering that. We haven't. <laughs> oh, well, that's that. But this is my favourite. Look, a Tropicana party, another Queensland infant, <laughs> Mrs Gordon Stanley. There are, you cannot, but the coral trout with wine sauce, the picture, there's this sort of trout sitting on a bed of rice. With olives as its eyeballs. But this South Pacific rice riso is the salad. Two packets of Chinese rice riso, half a cup of sultanas, one tin pineapple rings drained, one apple peeled and chopped, two bananas sliced and lettuce. Have you ever heard of anything more disgusting than South Pacific rice riso? <laughs> what defines the... Late 50s and 60s is definitely pineapple. Yes. Pineapple went in veal stews. It went everywhere you went, you had pineapple. And we all got, all my friends were pregnant at the same time. And oddly enough, the one thing we couldn't tolerate was pineapple. And it's not surprising. <laughs> Maybe that's why this generation hates it so much. It's Although, interestingly, well, we, we did discuss this the other uh, week, Jewel, because my granddaughter, Hattie, I suppose there's, <laughs> this is not rocket science, but she has an absolute thing for ham and pineapple pizzas, will devour them. Ten, if she could, yes. you know. but <laughs> And not just the pineapple. She likes to have the sweet bit on the ham as well. But anyway, uh, Julia, you have yes. a crush today. Who's oh, your crush? Well, we, um, thank you, Corey. We go back to the football again, and I just want to say my crush of the week is certainly Maureen Hafey, standing up there presenting the cup the way she did in her dear little uh, white jacket. You know where it came from, Cara? Uh, Le- um, Carla Zampati, yes, it was. I asked her after, the, after she'd done the presentation. Oh, she looked so pretty. And I was so glad that she got to do it and I knew she'd do it so well. And also it saved 
Kevin Sheedy from hogging the limelight for <laughs> the 4,000th time. We should explain that Maureen Hafey is the widow of the wonderful Tom Hafey, who for many oh, years was a, a The great coach, coach. of the um, 60s and 70s. And it's another sign of the new Richmond as composed to the old Richmond that they asked yes. actually um, the widow of one of the great past people of the club, a legend of the club in Tom Hafey, to present the cup. Yes. Yet another sign of how it's changed. That would not have happened in the 60s. Don't think there would have been a woman president in the 60s either, Mum, no, just quietly. No, I've told you what happened. Uh, I think that's a very worthy crush. Uh, quite like the idea of the colours and patty suit too. Might be down there to have a look at that. Well, it's um, actually a little jacket and she just looks so elegant. She, she looked did. wonderful. It's just great to see a woman presenting the cup. And, it's brilliant. And half, the po- half the population who follow football are women. So Well, just... remember two years ago, Corrie, Damien Hardwick was the first coach ever to get on the dais and actually thank his wife. I don't, I've never heard a coach do it Oh, they're before. so touchy-feely at Richmond, aren't they? Well, and, Mrs. Oh, Hardwick. Jane, I have tears. <laughs> Can I mention what another woman? What a sweet woman? team they are. Yes, Mum. A slightly younger woman, the one who's taking the limelight at Richmond, is definitely Poppy Rewalt. Oh, that poor <laughs> Poppy Rewalt has been out and about. <laughs> She's seen more often than... Megan Markle. <laughs> he's got the worst. She's going to have the worst hearing by the time she's five. She's been in more club circles singing more songs with Uncle Dusty hanging around her. I mean, honestly and truly. I don't know how they get her to Holding bed her. at night. No. She, she must go to bed saying, what function tomorrow, <laughs> Daddy? She wasn't she in the conga line on the MCG, nor was she there when her dad sang Mr. Brightside again in the early hours of Sunday morning. But yes. <laughs> Um, that was Crush of the Week, and now we move on to BSF. And, of course, BSF is brought to us with by our friends Vital Smarts. Vital Smarts, Julia and Caro, as you know, if we have an organisation that's suffering from unsupportive, lazy or poor performers, as Caro was last week here when she didn't ask me about my September <laughs> challenge, of course she should have gone straight to Vital Smarts and been trained up. Vital Smarts gives you and your staff the skills to speak up and hold each other accountable used by more than 300 of the top Fortune 500 companies and globally proven to solve communication behaviour problems in any culture or industry. Crucial conversations and crucial accountability training gives you the tools and skills to talk about almost anything, even the toughest issues. And may I suggest vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM for a listener-only offer. And more information, note that everyone at Greater Western Sydney. You may need some crucial conversations mm. assistance in the next few weeks. How will they recover from that? Now, be very Jul- interesting. Julia is going to talk about a book, but I just wanted to mention super quick. Uh, first of all, one of our potties has asked, uh, now that the footy's over, have we got any recommendations for her book club? And it is coming to that time of the year when book and, clubs and tend Shauna to And Shauna is about- a disappointed giant supporter, we should say. Shauna oh, O'Sullivan. Sorry so about that, Shauna. Bad they luck. did They did really well up until the last game. Oh, we're sorry about that. Anyway, um, well... Julia and Caro aren't, but anyway, I am. Uh, I just wanted to say that next week we will run through a few top tips over summer and for next week for book clubs. And I did want to say that Favel Parrott, who is a Mel, uh, uh, sorry, a Torquay author, a Surf Coast author, she has come up with her third novel. She's one of my favourite, favourite Australian writers. Her, this book is called There Was Still Love. And you might remember, Caro, years ago, um, her book uh, was um, – just no, the name's escaped me for a second. I'll think of it in a second. Uh, it was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Award, Past the Shallows, if you oh, can remember that. Oh, that, the one set in Tasmania. Yeah. 
Oh, that was and the, the most, three the three boys and that the was a very upsetting disconnected book. father after the yep. mother dies. Wonderful book. Past yeah, the you, you gave it to me for a trip to New York, and it really put me in a slump for the start of the trip. <laughs> oh, sorry, but no, it's a, it's it a beautifully a beautiful written book. novel. Yeah. So I just is. have to say that there was still love is a story that's kind of loosely based in a funny sort of way on Favel's own parents. She has Czech background, and uh, in this story is, relates to two sisters, Mana and Eva, and uh, we start in. Prague 1938, we go to Prague 1980 and then Melbourne 1980 and as the story unfolds we learn that Mana, who has migrated to Australia when the Nazis were invading in 1938, Eva stayed and it's this wonderful connection between the sisters but the sadnesses of one having this life in free space and the other behind the Iron Curtain it's a fabulous book recommend that highly, there was still love but Jewel, you wanted to tell me about the new book on uh, Louis Mountbatten well, the Mountbatten's, both of them, um, it follows on the great biography uh, written about him and the biography of her, which is a wonderful book, the best of them, I think, written by a girl called Janet Morgan. This one is new and it recaps, of course, lots of the old history, but there are a couple who may well be forgotten now and the different sort of life they led even then and now it's as far away from us as centuries ago and I do think it'll be a great gripping um, summer read as you lie on the beach reading about people who lived these incredible lives. This book has a a double page of pictures of her various lovers and they both had lovers and both sexes, and uh, they seemed to get along quite well. And did a lot. She did a lot of good in the world after she stopped being a, a gad about socialite. <laughs> the book is called "The Mountbatten's Lives and Loves" by Andrew Loney, and Julia. The, the this this book was sort of sold into me from the reps. It's gone crackers. We've sold about twenty of them oh, so cool. far. Um, but it because it's a re- it's a really uh, clear and um, uh, sort of unbiased look, if you like, at their marriage and their love affairs because in the past people have been pussyfooting around the fact that he is related to the Queen, Lord Mountbatten, mm, mm. And, and of course he was killed by the IRA in the mm. early 80s. But there's been a sort of a sensibility about this, oh, we don't go there. But of course Andrew Loney has in this book. Yes, well... He came from a family that was widely considered a rather jumped-up lot of Germans. Um, there were four, four um, princes who were morganatically born. Their father was uh, the Grand Duke, but their mother was not. She didn't have what was essential in Germany, 16 quarterings, which meant you had to be royal for four generations. And... Um, But Queen Victoria took up with them. She considered that anyone she liked was good enough for the rest of the world. And um, they all married well and they all got their toes into England. Well, the book is The, La- their La- the Mountbatten's Their Lives and Loves by Andrew Loney. It is $44.99 and we highly recommend it. Caro, you have a screen. Well, we all went to the opening this week of um, Ned's new film, Ned Donahue, my son's film, which is called Green Light. He's actually he's on the media trail now, Corrie. He's been doing interviews and we all stuck around for the Q&A. After, the film opened at the Nova Cinema on um, at the start of October, but it actually, that was the premiere, but it opens for everyone to go and see it on October 10. Look, 
It's a called, fascinating called movie. Green it's Light. called Green Light. Yep. Um, it's the story basically of two men, two intriguing and quite charismatic men who made it their life's work to provide medicinal cannabis, cannabis to people and animals, um, the children, disabled people, cancer sufferers who cannot get, even though cannabis is now legal um, for medicinal terms, the, the red tape that most people have to go through and the prohibitive costs and the issues in terms of um, having it in your system when you're driving and um, travelling. Obviously, you can't go overseas with it because it's you seem to be transporting drugs, illicit drugs. It's, it's just a fascinating documentary. I don't know what you two thought of it, but I thought the two men were so interesting. It's sort of set in an undisclosed location because what they're doing is underground and the way they deliver the goods has to be underground still, um, but it's clearly a, a tropical part of Australia. And I know Ned went and lived there with them for a short time. I, I think it's a fascinating story, really well told and very moving at times. Well, you two ladies can't say this because you have uh, you you're, you have a vested interest because you both related to uh, Ned. But I can say this: that Ned's storytelling as director and writer last night on this extraordinary documentary shows actually a mix of talents of both his parents and also his grandmother, Julia, who can tell a story like no one I know. But, Caro, he has your writing ability capacities because there are, there are segments of the documentary where there is a still with written words on it and it's very clear what's happening. It, it kind of provides the context for what he's talking about because most of the time it's just these chaps and, and their patients talking to camera. So you've got to kind of work out the storyline yourself a bit, but it's easy to do. And then, of course, Brendan, your husband, who's a, who's a Channel 7 reporter, that working with film and words and building a story using the two was really extraordinary. And what I loved, there were so many things I loved about this film and the two characters, as you say, were so strong. But I loved the way that every so often Ned would change the, like change the, like act one, act two, if you like, with just scenery of the beautiful tropical forest area where these two gentlemen live and obviously where the cannabis has grown. But we just suddenly would just take a big deep breath and there would be these beautiful vistas of, of rainforests and, yes. and, and animals in fields. And I just thought that was a very clever punctuation. It was really clever documentary. You should feel very proud, both of you. Well, I do. I'm his godmother. I feel very proud. Well, I was very proud too, Corrie. But what I thought was so typical of Ned, which he gets from his father, his self-effacement, in making the documentary, he intrudes on it in no way at all, which is what a good documentary is, like a good speech. It's meant to be about the object, not a subjective about yourself, and he gets that from his father. Oh, don't look at me when you're no, saying that. <laughs> I was looking at the dynamic there. People can have a look at this on Instagram, hashtag greenlightfilm. And also, uh, show notes will have a link to where it's on and the more that you can read about it. And please tell your friends because there is actually a political momentum. It's, there's a movement happening here and it's certainly a grassroots one. And it, honestly, I defy anybody to come away from seeing Ned's film to not be affected and be a real pro um, you know, medicinal cannabis person because of the good that it does all of these cancer sufferers and others as well. Well, yeah, the two guys took a big risk to be involved and it took Ned a long, <coughs> excuse me, a long time to get them over the line. 
So he did, and it well done. It was great. Then. Well done. Now, on to food, and I know that we've gone through the hostess book like a dose of salt. We have. Can we just have one more recipe? Can we please have the Tropicana salad? <laughs> I really want to eat that on the patio. I've already told you that, but one, one in the Tropicana dinner party is the Red Emperor, which is a Red Emperor. That was a picture I showed you before, but the really good little touch is that instead of an eye, they put a stuffed olive yes. in the eye, which is just fantastic. But no, Corrie, this is a recipe that you published in The Age many moons ago, and it was referred back to me by our friend Terry Brax, who it turns out is a listener of the podcast. And Terry, oh, hello, Terry. I saw Terry at the preliminary final, and um, Steve is such a good sport, even though he's a Geelong supporter. Not that Geelong supporters are bad sports, but he was very magnanimous after the game. But Terry has been making your country terrain for years. And my question to you is, why don't you make it anymore? It is beautiful. Oh, it was sort of a thing that we did when we were first married. Mum, this because I was given the most beautiful Le Creuset terrine dish for, as a wedding present. So we always seem to be doing, you know, spending all Saturday making this beautiful terrine. It's out of, I think it's from memory. It's out of a, one of those Vogue entertaining guides. Anyway, well, look, um, it's, it hasn't got very many ingredients, and Mum, I think I could do this in that beautiful rabbit terrine given by Helen Hiscock that you gave to me. Yes, target supporter. Well, it's called Country Terrine. One kilogram of pork and veal mince. Two large onions finely chopped, two cloves crushed garlic, two slices of bread crust removed and bread crumbed. Do you use just normal white bread? Yes, or? totally. No, okay. don't, do, don't use anything with seeds in it. One teaspoon dried thyme, half a teaspoon dried marjoram, two teaspoons salt, ground black pepper, three tablespoons chopped parsley, two eggs, a tablespoon of brandy, two tablespoon, uh, one tablespoon of Grand Marnier. Two, you used to do a lot of Grand Marnier in your cooking. I know. I, well, I, I did. Did you hear before I mentioned <laughs> the Grand Marnier mousse, one of my favourites? Two tablespoons white wine, four bacon rashes to line terrine and pistachio nuts being optional, which I, re- I remember them dotting through your terrine. Well, they just add a bit of colour and pop too. Corrie, this looks absolutely beautiful, and I'm going to give it a crack. Um, we're going to put it on the show notes. It looks incredibly simple, and Terry has given it a big tick. You have to get the bacon to look quite attractive because when you pull it out. Anyway, do you use streaky bacon? Yes, or? you do. Yes, okay. and, and, tr- and not too fatty mm. either because you don't want the fat sort of immersing itself into the rest of the terrine. Thank you, Caro. Thank you, Julia, for book, screen and food, and thank you, Vital Smarts. Vital Smarts, remember everyone, are the, are the speak-up experts with more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times best-selling authors in their midst, and of course, more than three million people trained. Don't forget, vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM to master your speak-up skills and create an environment of accountability. What are you grumpy about today, Corrie? I just um, should probably preface this by saying that this, what I'm about to say is a huge generalisation and I apologise <laughs> to all men to whom the following does not apply. When men do the supermarket shopping, what happens in their brains? Why do they never quite get it right? All of a sudden there'll be the world's most giant jar of gherkins or pickles comes home. One that can't really fit in the fridge and a year later you're still looking at it. I just don't understand it, Julia and Caro. So here's the most recent offensive thing that's come home from the supermarket in my husband's trolley. 
We were staying at very, very kindly. A friend said, stay at our place at Port Ferry for a couple of nights. That was a really lovely getaway. So, of course, what you do is you replace anything that you've used. Well, we didn't really use anything because we were eating breakfast out and lunch sandwiches and things. But we did need some more toilet paper. So they have the fluffy, expensive white toilet paper. And in each bathroom of the beach house, it was white, fluffy toilet paper. So I thought, this is on theme. So I said to my husband, when you go down to the supermarket, make sure you get the white, fluffy, the really expensive. Yes, yes, I know the sort. I know the sort. What comes home is not so fluffy, but also it's mauve flowers. Oh, Oh, dear. Look, I know in the scheme of things, I know England is falling apart under Boris Johnson, and I know the world as we know it in America in particular is blowing up, but but I know this is not important, but really, like mauve, no offence to anybody who loves mauve or lilac, but it's a, you know, this was not the brief. Brendan Brendan will put the shopping down on the bench and go, I know I've got something wrong and you're going to criticise it anyway. (laughs) So he has the preemptive move. What did you do? Did you make him go and change it? I would have. Well, I... No, but there was so much of it, Carol. So, look, it was very generous of him, but poor Jen's going to get to her down to her lovely beach house and just go, well, the guests are coming. I can't show the lilac flowers because it doesn't go, go with the interviews. Anyway, you know, I just thought I'd just share that. This isn't a GLT, but it actually is a GLT. Someone said, I think it was um, Moggs and Tony, my brother-in-law and sister, they go supermarket shopping together now, and they're very harmonious. I think we all should go shopping with our husbands. Never. Oh, no, Miss Jane's shaking her head in a very emphatic way. Never. Anyway, good grumpy, Corrie. Time for six quick questions. Mum, Royce Hart, Kevin Bartlett, Richo or Dustin Martin? Dustin, the greatest player, Richo, the most lovable and then the other two, well, you're happy with the other two as well, but Dick Clay yes. was your favourite from that era, we yes, know. Yes, yes, I'd only talk. Dick, the most elegant kick ever in league football. Speaking of Dustin Martin, Caro, my question to you is, what was actor Rachel Griffiths doing with Dustin Martin's dad on Saturday? What indeed, Corrie? <laughs> like, you asked me to ask you this and I'm what thinking, What an extraordinary what Instagram photo was that? Rachel Griffiths was in New Zealand, perhaps promoting Ride Like a Girl. She is, her new and film. And she and her partner wandered into a local pub and Shane Martin was there. So they watched the grand final together. And did you see Dusty when he got his medal? Love your dad. I mean, he oh, did I give him. A, he did give him a cheerio. Oh. But probably the least two people you would expect to be watching the grand final together. But there well, when you, you are. sent that through on the computer, I just well, I couldn't imagine where we were going with that. So well, they were just in a in a pub in you know random sightings. Yeah, yep. but then they had to spend, spend a but lovely. But do you think Dustin said? Dustin's father said. Oh my God! You're Rachel Griffiths from Muriel's wedding. I'm sure he would have known. Well, he's not a he's not a Neanderthal, Corrie. He would have known who she was. Now, Corrie, when you leave your pet at home for the day, do you say goodbye? Of course you do. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm surprised you're you asking do. me. No, well, I just I'm asking I, you. I should say. I, I saw this on a, on an Instagram Essen Essen AJ, which is a shop in Mansfield. It's a terrific homeware shop, by the way. Good local tip, and they have a really nice Instagram account. And they ran this thing the other day. Does anyone else tell their pets, I'll be back soon when you leave the house, or is it just me? Well, their Instagram went off, Caro. One response said, always. I also have a special way for when I'm going so he knows. I don't know what he is, a cat or a dog or a horse. I've got no idea. And then another person said, 
Not only do I tell her about how long I'll be gone, I tell her where I'm going too. We understand each other. Well, I told Billy this morning that we're going to the beach this afternoon and her tail did wag very excitedly. (laughs) That is so funny. Um, Now, Julia, Dame Julie Andrews turns 84 this week. Do you have a favourite Julie Andrews movie or song? (laughs) No, I can't stand Julie Andrews. And nor did Mum. She took son Will to The Sound of Music and she came home and she said never again, all those nuns <laughs> that was pro- oh, when, I saw, when I saw you had that question for mum, I knew exactly what she was going to say, her well, least just... favourite actress oh. it, well I, I sort of wanted to start a conversation, I wasn't sure, how to, I thought look Mary Poppins Julia might like but I, I just, she was quite good I, in Mary Poppins I did yeah. want to start the convo though, does Playing the nun, was that probably a bad career move for Julie Andrews? Forever typecast, do you think? Oh, no. I mean, no, she's been, she's she's been living off that for years. She no. went on and did a few other things. But no, remember she did an Alfred Hitchcock film with Paul Newman, which didn't really work. Mum's rolling her eyes again. No, mum, <laughs> mum is not a fan. Corrie, what is your favourite spring look? Well, you reminded me this the other day when you saw me at a social occasion and you said, oh, you've got your runners <clears throat> on. I was deeply offended by that. I had my really cool silk pants, my little, not runners. But I didn't say it in that. That is so not the way I said it. That is just a complete misrepresentation well, that, Okay, so that's how, how I, I interpreted it. it. And you can't <laughs> deny my feelings or emotions if I say that I'm offended. Yes, that's so, true. Caro, I have to say that sneakers and slippers are everywhere. Not a new thing. They've been around for the last couple of years. But, of course, as you know, Will, son Will and daughter-in-law Lib have started, well, it was Bertie, but it's now called Monty. So you can look at them on Instagram at Monty Store underscore M-O-N-T-E-S-T-O-R-E, or you can look at their slippers, montystore.com. Lib has been posting a particularly beautiful that one of their new shades is pale blue, and it looks really stunning with white pants or white skirt. Just saying, what a great look. Now, I know that probably people out there are thinking, oh, but the spring look is pink. Dare I say, Carol, you're on theme wearing that shirt today. Or people might say floral saray. Well, it's been so bloody cold in Melbourne in September. Who has been wearing florals? None of us. We've been in our jumpers. So I just think the trainer and slipper thing, you can now wear it 24 hours a day and get away with it. Out to dinner. You know, it's not just a work thing, anything. So that's my um, spring look. Actually, Mum, quite a few of your friends wear the runner or sneaker look now, don't they? No. <laughs> don't they? <laughs> no, I've seen it. Who, well, have you do... s- who have you seen of your mum's friends or are you just making that up? I've seen a few of the bridge ladies in sneakers or maybe, I've, maybe I'm seeing things. Maybe you're seeing your own generation, I think. Well, what do your friends wear? Just a, a nice loafer? Yes. All right, fair enough. <laughs> if I had the legs, I'd be wearing them, but, but they, sadly I don't. Your friends might like Monty Slipper, actually, Julia. They're oh, very they velvet might. and pretty. They're, they'd be good for bridge, actually. Yes. We'll Keep get your feet warm. Um, um, Aunt Lil onto them because she's the glamorous one. Yes, <laughs> yes, except sadly we all have similar ankles and they don't really run to wearing trainers under a nice dress. The okay. page legs. Oh, <laughs> a curse. Yeah, which I, which I sadly got and my sister didn't. Um, Carol, what's your GLT apart from we need to have a diet so our ankles get thinner? Well, I refer back to Mrs. Anne Corgano or Corgano of Brisbane, Queensland, the Chinese lanterns and glaces are a lady. <laughs> 
He's found that... Do we have to? It's a dinner party tip. He's found that if she enjoys her own dinner party, the enjoyment communicates itself to the other guests. She's learned to ignore the small mishaps, which always seem to occur at the very last minute, and be calm in the midst of confusion. But there are other ways, Corrie, of helping guests and mum enjoy themselves. Before and after dinner, I seat people in groups of two or three near the sofa. I rearrange the furniture ahead of time so that all the guests can talk to each other easily. There you I are. Would, I would suggest to her that she goes into the kitchen and has three gin and tonics quick sticks. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help you relax. Move the groups groups of twos and threes, Corrie. That is how your guests are going to enjoy themselves. Oh, poppycock. How ridiculous is that? One big long table with everyone jumping in. Um, Julia, it was lovely to have you today. It was lovely to be asked. And go Tigers. Go Tigers. Would you girls like to sing a little chorus? No, we don't no, sing on. We, no, we know both of us have got dreadful singing voices. Oh, but, that's so mean. But we might have um, enjoyed the song a couple of times over the weekend. Well, we might, we might have a bit of a rendition of the song when we have our Christmas party details to come on that one potty, so stay tuned. And please tell your family and friends to subscribe to us and please press the five stars through iTunes because it, it apart from the fact that Max Carol and I feel fabulous about ourselves, it also helps other people to find us. If you'd like to give us any feedback or comments or tips, just go to Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page and, of course, you can leave a message on our Instagram account, which is at Don't Shoot Pod and Twitter is the same. Or you can email us feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. I would like to thank our producer, Jane Neal, for being so nice today. And I would like to commend her on her magnificent rhododendron that are here, looking beautiful. And I would also like to thank uh, Vital Smarts for supporting us. And, Caro, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie.